this session is called the purpose of spiritual gifts because uh, the issue of spiritual gifts is one of the more controversial subjects in the church. If you were to just go on Amazon and look up spiritual gifts, not only are you going to find a lot of books, but you're going to find a lot of books with different perspectives. People have way different perspectives on this issue. There are people that look at spiritual gifts as a blessing. There are people that look at spiritual gifts like a burden. They don't want to have anything to do with, with what that means or what the church or charismatic churches or Pentecostal churches uh, say that those things are. Well, I am a charismatic and I am a Pentecostal uh, in, in the way that I would define my understanding of spiritual gifts, not necessarily what you might think that means, but I try to define that, but I believe in the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I don't just believe in one or two or five, I believe in all of them that are mentioned in Scripture. So that's the perspective that I'm going to come from, but that doesn't mean that you know what I'm going to say, so it's important for us to build a foundation of what spiritual gifts are, how they function, how we receive them, and then how we exercise them. Answering those kinds of questions, I think, ultimately leads us to a fruitful ministry. Because at the end of the day, what we really want when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit is we want to receive what God has for us so that we can minister in the love and the power of God so that this world is amazed. I mean, if you don't say amen to that, I don't know what to say. But I'm, we want the world to see Jesus Christ. And I'm not enough for them to go, wow, God is amazing. I know that me plus God is enough for the world to be amazed. And that's why I like talking about spiritual gifts because it's an empowered Ben. It's an empowered you that the world gets amazed by. And so this is an issue that I think not only should it be controversial in our mind, it should be very, very clear in our mind because we want to understand it and help people with what God supplies one of the pastors that I used to have in my past, in my history, would say, don't just give people something out of your back pocket. And what he meant by that was is that we have more than whatever we knew or whatever we thought or whatever we think or whatever's popular to say. We actually have the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of us if we believe in Jesus Christ. And if that's true, then we've got to know how to access whatever it is that he's giving us in partnership with him to see the world come to Jesus. So I'm interested in this for those purposes. For those reasons, I want the world, I want the world to see Jesus. So spiritual gifts becomes a very important topic because of these kinds of things. I just want to mention, and we'll go back to this, but I want to mention what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 1. And as he said this, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to ignore understanding. I don't want you to be unaware. I want you to be informed. I want you to have a solid understanding about spiritual gifts. Now, if you know anything about Corinth or the Corinthian church, you know that the Apostle Paul was the one who planted the Corinthian church, probably six years before he said this. And, and in the first Corinthians was a letter that Paul wrote back to the Corinthian church in response to a letter that they wrote him. And so here's a church that's gifted. He actually says to them in the first couple chapters that you lack no spiritual gift. You guys are very gifted. You, you are flowing in the gifts of the spirit. But as the conversation progresses, he goes on to tell them, while you have the gifts, you're not exercising them properly. 
And so he has these conversations within the conversation, not that spiritual gifts are bad, but how we minister or how we understand and minister in spiritual gifts is as important as ministering in them. How we go about it and what we believe about them, that's very vital. So he's like, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be unaware. And I don't want you to ignore this solid conversation that we, that we need to have. Obviously, this church w- was, as he said, not lacking, but they were, they were making a lot of mistakes. They were making a lot of mistakes. So he furnishes their understanding. And I think that's sort of what we're after tonight. We want to talk about what spiritual gifts are. And I want to just break it down Ultra practical, <laughs> ultra practical. Are you ready for this? Yes. This means yes, where I come from. All right, okay. I want to be very, very practical, and so you're going to have to go with me where I go, okay? I, I, I don't know that I'll have the time to finish what I want to say in this topic, but I think it's really important that we go through it in, in, a, in very practical terms. Now, what spiritual gifts are? A spiritual gift is a God-given ability imparted to a follower of Jesus to serve other people. Now, I want to say it this way. A spiritual gift is a God-given, supernatural ability imparted to a follower of Jesus to serve others. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. This is where Paul talks to the Corinthians and starts to mention the gifts themselves, and he has a conversation around it. It says this in verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, or the way these things go, uh, the way these things happen. But the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now that word manifestation is like a word like the, the word expression or the word evidence. And so essentially what we're saying is spiritual gifts are the manifestations of the Spirit. They're the expressions or they're actually the evidence of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. It's where we see the Holy Spirit moving. It's where we see evidentially the Holy Spirit working in our midst. And we're a diversely gifted, many gifted body or company or group of people that God has deposited his spirit with all of these workings and manifestations inside of us. And so as we learn what they are, as we learn how to use them, we see God moving in our midst. We see God manifesting himself. So this is what spiritual gifts are. They're manifestations. They're expressions of the Holy Spirit. Not of you, not of me, but the Spirit of God. What spiritual gifts are not? It's important that we realize that spiritual gifts are first not talents. A talent is a special natural ability that you're born with. A special natural ability that you're born with. That is not a spiritual gift. When we continue with this conversation, you've got to know that a talent like uh, Andrew can play the guitar, I can't. To some people, music comes naturally. To other people, it doesn't. And for those of you that are gifted naturally with music, don't make fun of the rest of us. And don't tell us by God's power we can do it. I'm telling you, I can't. Okay? But there are other things that I can do you can't do. Amen? Natural abilities that are given. And I would say that there's an ease to which we flow and function within those things. Now, uh, uh, spiritual gifts are not skills. 
Talents are, got, are, are given at birth. They're just, they're, they're something that we function uh, with ease. It, it, it's just natural for us. But skills are, uh, they're abilities that come from acquired knowledge and experience. Skills are things that come from acquired knowledge and experience. What am I talking about? Like, I, um, I don't like painting, but I got good at painting, not like artistic, but houses, okay? Not because I'm going to paint your house. I won't. But I got good at it because I had to acquire a set of skills as we remodeled houses. And we couldn't hire the painters all the time. We had to learn how to do everything. So I acquired a set of skills where I could fix houses. I could paint. I could do drywall. I could repair all kinds of stuff. I could set cabinets. I didn't, it's, it wasn't easy for me, but I learned how to do those kinds of things through time and experience. And there are a lot of things that you and I have that, which we call skills. Those skills are not spiritual gifts. That is not what we're talking about. Talents and skills are talents and skills. They're not spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are those things that the Holy Spirit gives. And that means that you cannot have a spiritual gift unless you have the Holy Spirit. Hear me very clearly. There are people that say, well, God gives like, you know, like, like psychics are really just prophetic people that are misusing the gift. That is absolutely false. That's absolutely false. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is not the only spirit? I hope you know that, right? There are, there are what's called demon spirits. So people say, well, how are they accurate? Because the demonic world is real. Psychics or clairvoyants or any of those kinds of folks, they're not functioning by the Holy Spirit. They're functioning by demon spirits. That's what's going on. Their spiritual world is real. Just as much as I'm talking about the Spirit of God, there is a spiritual arena. There's a spiritual realm. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you do not have spiritual gifts, all right, that's good sound theology, and when you hear different, the first question that you ask is, where does it say that in the Bible? Because it doesn't, and the only place that people have pointed me to is Acts chapter 2, and it says, in the last days, God says, I will pour forth my spirit on all flesh. That word for flesh is the whole body or all mankind, and what they meant by that was not just Jews, so it's very important that you understand that was a first century Jewish context. He wasn't saying, I will pour out my spirit on every person, Christian and non-Christian. He was saying that the day was going to come where all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in that day, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, Jew and Gentile, those that call on the name of the Lord. So it's a weird idea, once again, it's, it, it lacks a historical understanding of that context for somebody to say that people who are not Christian have spiritual gifts. It's not true. They have talents, they have skills like the rest of us, but you do not have a spiritual gift until you have the Spirit of God because you believe upon Jesus Christ. If you're with me, say amen. amen. I like amen. You can say it at any time when it's appropriate. I almost gave you freedom there, but there's a few of you that might take that license a little too far. All right. Prove just what I said. Appreciate that. Now, what are spiritual gifts for? What are spiritual gifts for? And I'm just going to give you like four things. There are probably others, but these are the things that I find important in Scripture. The first one is to equip the body of Christ. To equip the body, to equip the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.11 through 13, it mentions five gifts that are what we call offices that are given by Jesus Christ. And it says this, and he gave, Jesus gave some as apostles and as prophets 
and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Some say pastors and teachers is one gift. Some say it's two. doesn't really matter um, to me. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building of the body of Christ, until, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And the part that I want to highlight tonight is for the equipping of the saints. That the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, and teacher, those are resident office gifts that Jesus puts on the inside of people, some people, and then those people become a gift to the body. The gift isn't just for them, but they actually become a gift. Why? They are a gift to the body because they help equip the people of God. In the Old Testament, for example, a prophet was somebody who was a spokesperson for God. They heard the word of the Lord. They spoke the word of the Lord. In the New Testament, a prophet, a New Testament prophet, doesn't just hear what God is saying and share it. They actually equip the body to hear the voice of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is now poured, up, poured out on the whole body. So now what only prophets, priests, and kings could have in the Old Testament, everybody can have in the New Testament because Jesus lives inside of us by the Holy Spirit. And so we're equipped, the saints are equipped for works of service. And a prophet equips people for the work of prophesying. A pastor equips people for the nurturing of their family or for pastoring people everywhere they go. And so what we've got to get away from is an Old Testament mentality where pastors and leaders and prophets and apostles become our Moses by which we, we, we get to know the Lord. But they, what their revelation is the only revelation that we're receiving. Their Bible reading is what we glean from. We don't need to, to just depend on men and women anymore. We can go straight up the mountain ourselves. And so prophets and apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers, their job is to put tools into the hands of God's people. And so we can go to war. That's what we, their tools and their weapons that God gives to the whole body. Everybody gets to play. Nobody sits on the bench. And if we're sitting on the bench, it's a mindset or a mentality that we've got to come out of. And it scares people a little bit. Are you telling me that God wants to use me? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, I am. Are you telling me that God wants me to do some, some awesome, miraculous things in the name of Jesus? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, I am. Absolutely. It requires first faith. What we believe about spiritual gifts matters because our practice always follows our belief. If you don't believe spiritual gifts are for today, you're not going to practice them. You're not going to seek them out. You're not going to ask God for them. You're not going to step out by faith. What you believe the scriptures teach is where your practice follows. And so what I'm teaching is from scripture, and I can show you what it says, but ultimately what we're looking for is that we step out on what the Bible teaches. And so if you're called to be a pastor, you're not just called to be a mediator. You're not just called to teach the word. You're called to teach people how to go to the word for themselves. Because they have the Holy Spirit of God living in them. And it doesn't mean you don't have a role of leadership. It doesn't mean God doesn't establish leaders in the church. Of course he does. That's very scriptural, even in the New Testament. He establishes leaders, roles and responsibilities, just like a family, a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister. There are roles and responsibilities in the church. But the leader's role in the New Testament is that Jesus is the head of the church, and everyone else is an under-shepherd, and their job is to equip the body. 
so that the body can manifest Christ in the world around them in power, in love, and in truth. This is what we're after, to be a body of people that represents Jesus in every way that he would enable us and empower us to. Character, nature, virtue, and power. So to equip means to prepare, it means to furnish, it means to put tools or weapons into one's hands. So first, spiritual gifts are for equipping of the body of Christ. Second, it's to encourage the body of Christ. Romans chapter 1, Paul was writing to the Roman church and he tells them, I wanted to come to you, this is what he says, I long to see you in verse 11, so that I might impart some spiritual gift to you, that you might be established and strengthened, and that I would be encouraged together with you while among you. And each of us by each other's faith, both yours and mine. He's talking about, I'm carrying something in my my spirit that God himself has given to me, and I long to come to you to release that and impart that to you, but also so that I would be encouraged as well. In other words, we we are all carrying prophetic percentages, Every one of us is carrying a prophetic percentage, meaning that in order to have a whole, each one of us has a slice of the pie. And for us to be one, one people, one body, following the Lord Jesus Christ, we've all got to understand that we're carrying a prophetic percentage, meaning that you're sitting here with something possibly for the person next to you, right? It's not a restaurant. The church is not a restaurant. The church is a potluck, See, a restaurant you can come to, you just roll in, and, uh, and then you get to criticize the service. You get to criticize the food. You know, they brought me a Diet Coke instead of a Coke. My goodness, no tip for them. Oh, I can't believe this steak wasn't as rare as I wanted. I wanted to die from this rare steak, and it's just not rare enough, and I'm only going to give them $3 and not $10 for their t- You know, you criticize the service. You criticize the food. But I'll tell you something about a potluck, when you have a dish on the table, you stop criticizing a little bit, don't you? Because your dish gets to be criticized as well. Everybody's got something that they bring to the table. Like I always say about baseball, it's easy to be in the stands and criticize the stats, but when you have stats of your own, you get a little more vulnerable. You can talk about their home runs and their RBIs, and if you don't understand sports, I'm sorry, but you can talk about all the stats of that person, but when you got stats, you know what it takes to get those stats up. And so now you're encouraging your fellow athletes, you're encouraging your fellow bakers or whatever, you know, hey, that was pretty good. I don't know, maybe, maybe it was better than mine. You understand, there's an encouragement that happens because we all bring something to the table. And Paul's saying that. Paul's saying, I want to bring something and impart it to you. I'm carrying something for you, but you're also carrying something for me. See, that's a mindset. That's a mentality that we bring to the church. When we step into a service, what is our mindset? What's our mentality? What are we thinking when we come to a service? What are we thinking when we step foot into just the, this is just a building. The church is the people that occupy it. See, if our mentality is I'm carrying something for you, not not arrogantly, but confidently, I'm carrying something for you, then there all of a sudden becomes the necessity for me to learn how to access it and release it so that you would be encouraged. And that if your encouragement is dependent upon me, then I got to get my stuff together, right? Or we just back up and we say it doesn't matter, right? And we live in the land of good enough. Yeah, that's good. I'm good enough. It's good. But we lose the whole purpose of church, 
we lose the whole purpose of church because we come to get something rather than to give something. And it's actually meant to be mutual, to give and to receive. Encourage the body of Christ. The, second, or the third is to exalt Jesus Christ. This is what spiritual gifts are for, to exalt Jesus Christ. Look what Peter said in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Peter said this, as each one of you has received a special gift, employ it or use it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the utterances of God. In other words, steward what you have been given like it's from the Lord. Because it is. Makes sense. And whoever serves is to do, is to, is to do so as one who is serving by the strength, strength with which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing that when you and I minister in the gifts that God gives us, it actually exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. It glorifies the Father and exalts Jesus Christ. If we want to bring glory to God, then we discover what he's given us and we begin to use it to encourage one another and Jesus Christ is exalted. It becomes more about him and less about us because like Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said to them, you know, we're, we're pressed down, but we're not destroyed. And he goes on and he said, but we have this treasure. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that people, the world may know that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from ourselves. What was he saying? He's saying, I know, I am very aware that what God does through me is because it's from him. That the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That people would know that. And people will know that as we step out and minister in Jesus' name. I think people know the difference. People live in a world that is filled with chaos. People live in a world that is filled with hopelessness. And when you're a voice of hope, when you're a voice of encouragement, it changes the atmosphere around you and people actually can tell the difference. If not initially, eventually, if you stay that way, you're manifesting Christ. And they see Jesus, not just in you being a nice person, but you're more than a nice person. It's more than just morality and character. It's more than that. There's power too. And the world needs to see that. It's what they saw when Jesus walked the earth. It's what they saw when the apostles walked. See, we have more than we realize, and we're carrying that around all the time. And what I'm trying to do is stir you up, you know, stir you up. I want to shake you up if I can. Shaken, not stirred, or stirred, not shaken. doesn't matter to me. Just get excited about Jesus and exalting him. The fourth is to extend the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians. Now he's talking specifically about speaking in tongues, and then he drills down on prophesying. And he says this in verse 23, 1 Corinthians 14. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and an ungifted man or unbelievers, unbelievers enter, will they not say, you are mad, you're crazy? Because they don't understand why people would be speaking in a language and nobody understands. But if all prophesy, they hear from God and they speak what the Lord is saying. If they all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters in, 
He is convicted by all, and he is called to an account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Don't we want the world to say that about the body of Jesus Christ? That they don't just say you're a building that keeps to yourself. We have no idea who you are except you buy a lot of Starbucks. But we want people, the world, to actually see the real substance of the Lord Jesus Christ. The real power of Jesus through you and through me. It is possible. Do you believe that? It is possible. But we've got to believe that. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the 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 revelation of who Jesus is, is found not just in our niceness, friend. Listen to me very carefully. You and I are going to blow it a lot. (laughs) Not a little bit, but a lot of bit. If you agree with that, go ahead and say something. And here's what people teach you. And I've taught this, and I believe it to some extent, that we need to live such a good life. Like it says in Matthew chapter 5, like, that our light should shine, that, that, uh, that, that those who see our light that's shining, that they would glorify our, our Father in heaven. Let your light so shine that, that people might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, let me ask you a question. That's true, right? But are you going to have a day where you're going to blow it? Are people going to look at your life ever and see not just good deeds? Okay, some of you aren't too honest right now. I believe that the message of the Lord Jesus Christ is more powerful than our ability to live it out. And if that's not true, this world has no hope. It's the very reason why Jesus came was that sinners could be forgiven. And that as saved saints who sin occasionally and are being delivered from our sin and are walking now in the newness of life, when we blow it, we're not now restricted by simply just the way that we live, our good or our bad. You know exactly what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that there's more in Jesus than just our perfect moral life. Now, I want you to be perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's not happening for any of you right now. I will not ask for a show of hands. But in the meantime, you and I, not only do we have the message of the Lord Jesus, but we have power. We have power. I've got lots of stories to share with you. You'll you'll hear them over the next several weeks. But I've led people to the Lord Jesus through one word, one prophetic word from God. One word from God is enough to change a person's life. And it changes our life when we believe that and engage the world when we leave these doors. It just is true. I'm not, I'm not okay with just living a substandard life. That's not what I want. And if it's true of me, it's true of me. I'm not going to sit up here and act like I'm living better than any of you. But I'm hungrier than whatever I'm living in right now. And I want to, to kindle the fire in every one of us that there is more. And if we're not hungry, we've got to start right there. You and I have got to start with our hunger. And if we lack it, we've got to ask, we need to come before Jesus tonight and say, God, I need a hunger that you would use me because there are people in this world that don't know you yet. And your gifts you give to me that I could manifest your son beyond what I am and beyond what I can do. I want to be more and do more. And that is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Not by our getting up in the morning saying, I'm going to try harder. Or getting up tomorrow saying, I'm going to do better and, and I'm going to be nicer and I'm going to uh, do all that. But at the end of the day, if you get up in the morning and you say, Father, I'm going to depend on your spirit. Fill me with your spirit today. Give me discernment and wisdom and healing and prophecy, signs, wonders, and miracles. Give me that, that I could reveal you to the world. Not so that I could look spiritual or look amazing or misuse your gifts, but that I could, that I could be a good steward of the gifts that you give me and, and use those in a way that shows that Jesus is real and that people really do actually ask me why. And when they do, I'll not miss an opportunity to tell them about the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we get to talking about faith, this all makes more sense because truthfully, it is about faith. It's what we believe and then it's how we believe. It's about what we believe scripturally and then how we're believing for that in the life that we're living. But you got to start with what you believe. People fight over whether or not gifts of the Spirit are for today. I think it's just nonsense. It's just, it's just nonsense. i I, I got to keep going because I'm telling you I'll, I'll, I'll go off on that. And I don't, I don't. But I want to, you know, I want to. I really do. I think we've had a few nights at Immersion Discipleship School that I wanted to crop from the video feed, and I even did maybe once. <laughs> being honest, keeping it real, folks, keeping it real. So clearly we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit, amen, for the church, for the world, but we need them. I don't, I don't teach them as an option. I don't teach them as an add-on. I don't teach them as a more attractive version of Christianity. I don't teach them as a denominational check in the box. I teach them that, in fact, we need them. We, we, we really do need them. And with, with all needs, you're drawn daily towards that very need, water and food. We don't miss meals, okay? We know when we're dehydrated. There's something off. There's something wrong in our step. And we've got to look at it this way. Spiritual gifts are tools for the mission of making disciples and revealing the living Christ to a dead world. And all of God's kids have gifts. All of God's kids have gifts. Everybody here has got, if you believe in Jesus and the Holy Spirit, because of that, lives in you, you have a gift or gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know you do. And when we walk around with like an inferiority complex or a comparison, like look at them versus me, that's just something we need to get rid of tonight. Ask God to take that from you. Whatever you have been given by God is, is, is what needs to become the focus. You need to focus on that, not on this and not on that, not on what other people are. and ha Forget all that. What has God given you? And that's the thing at the end of our life that he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, in the kingdom, it doesn't matter what we do. It matters if we're faithful to what we've been given to do and what we've been given to work with. And a lot of us spend our life looking for something else or even wanting to be someone else. I wish I was or I wish I had. We've got to let all of that thinking go and grab a hold of what we have and who we are in the kingdom. And when we do that, we get on with the business of seeing God do what he wants to do. He's got his own purposes. Now, how do we receive spiritual gifts? First, gifts are sovereignly given, meaning that God chooses 
to give gifts to whomever he wants and whatever gifts he wants them to have. I call these gifts resident gifts. That's my terminology. It's mine. You don't have to like it. You don't have to write it down. It's mine. Resident gifts, meaning they're in-house. They take up residence in you. God sovereignly gives those gifts. Now listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 4. Paul says this, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one of another. Since we have gifts, this is a past tense terminology, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each one is to exercise them accordingly with the faith that you're given. And what this means is simply this. That everyone in the body of Christ is given different gifts. Now, some of us can have the same gifts, of course, because there's a lot of us in this room. But we have diversity. God made us that way and chose for his own purposes. Now, there are spiritual gifts tests and books. I've just been reading like a ton of different books on spiritual gifts as I'm putting this together. And there are a lot of books that basically try to walk you through your personality to help you discover what God has given you. I'm not going to do that. Because in my experience, God will often give you something that you don't jive with. <laughs> because he has a purpose for you, it's really his purpose, and he'll put you in an environment, and he'll give you something that you may not even want. You may not even like what God gives you. But we have this idea today that the spiritual gifts that we have are things that we like or part of our personality. Look in the Bible and tell me where that's the case. I mean, Paul talks about his apostleship gift as the scum of the earth, I am treated like the scum of the earth. I'm not sure he was excited about that. Jesus talks about prophets and he says, I'm going to send you prophets and you're going to kill them. I mean, who's going to sign up for that? <laughs> I mean, if you have a personality to sign up for being a prophet, reread that verse. I'm not in line. That's why it has to be sovereign to some degree. Now, first and foremost, gifts are given sovereignly by God. Now, now, first Peter says it like this, as each one of you has received a special gift, that's another past tense term, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I've already said that. Here's what I'm saying. In the body of Christ, there are two different kinds of thinking. The first kind of thinking is this, that you can minister in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're not restricted whatsoever. You have the Holy Spirit, therefore you can minister in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's 50% true, not as it relates to Ephesians 4 office gifts, so that's not true when it relates to those gifts, but what I'm going to talk to you about in just a minute is that's partially true. However, it's a both and, okay? Anytime you hear somebody teach you that you can manifest all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, first of all, that's not true based on Ephesians 4, right there you have to X those gifts out because nobody is an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Nobody, nobody, nobody. It's not true, okay? And I've been around too, okay? There's a few of you who are going to make you wrestle with me a little bit. But there's a teaching that says you can manifest all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's partially true. This says to me, since we have gifts, since we have gifts that differ, you can't get away from that verse. It's very clear. He teaches diversity and that we need to embrace diversity and learn to flow and function with one another. P Peter says the same thing. Since each one has received a special gift. These are past tense terms. And we have to respect what scripture says, 
not what the, the next bestseller says, not what the book says, not what that preacher said at my church, but what does the Bible say? The Bible says that each person has received a spiritual gift. So you have one or several sovereignly given gifts by God. Now that's the first way we receive spiritual gifts, God's choice. Uh, God's choice. Second is gifts are situationally given, and this is where the next part of this would come into play. So God gives us gifts. Those are resident. They're there. There's a flow that's usually there. So if you have the gift of teaching, it just sort of comes out of you. If you have the gift of prophecy, it just sort of comes out of you. It's not like you have to go, God, I pray for a word. It's just there's a flow there, okay? Now, situational gifts are simply this. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 through 11, Paul says this, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good, meaning they're for, not for you, but they're for other people through you. And he goes on to talk about the nine different gifts. Now I'm just going to focus on the end here. He says, but, verse 11, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. That's another way of saying just as he chooses. So this is not the same kind of terminology that he uses in Romans or Peter uses in, in chapter 4. He's actually saying when you gather together as the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit is going to distribute different gifts as, he's, as he wills, as he chooses, and as situations uh, demand them. And so here's what I mean by that, is that because it's not just about what I have, it's about who I have, the Holy Spirit lives in me, and when I'm at work or when I'm somewhere like out and about, I don't call Fred uh, because Fred has the gift of healing, and I say, hey, Fred, got a person here, need healing, could you come down, you got the goods. <laughs> it's not what I do. It's not what you do. It's not what I do. So what I do is I ask, I call on the Holy Spirit to manifest his gift in the situation that I'm in. It's a both and. I have resident gifts. I need to learn what they are. I need to hone them and I need to employ them. And when I'm in situations, I call on the Holy Spirit for the situation that's in front of me. Does that make sense? It's a both and. And if you're like, this goes over your head, it's okay because we have, you can watch the live stream or something. I don't know if I made sense at all, but I know that in my head, it makes sense. It's a both end. People will teach one or the other, and it's both. And I could go all over the Bible, and you could see that to be the case. I could go into the Gospels where Jesus gives power and authority, and he tells them to preach, and he tells them to cast out demons and heal the sick, and he doesn't even talk about spiritual gifts. It's just power and authority. He just gives them the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we have all of these spiritual gifts teaching that are just filling up in our system, and what we need to do is just go back to Scripture, and Scripture is very, very clear that when we gather together, anything's possible. When we gather together, if our heart and our mind is open to manifest whatever gift the Holy Spirit gives us in that moment for whoever's in front of us, if that is our mindset, then we are available to what he wants to do. But if that's not our mindset and we're like, well, it's not my gift. It's not my gift. I had somebody, I shared a testimony at a large church about, about how I got to lead somebody to Christ. I went into a, it wasn't a supermarket, it was a smaller version of that. And, um, and I got to share, I'm not an evangelist, okay, but I evangelize. That's pretty awesome, don't you think? That's pretty cool. <laughs> My seven-year-old son would think that was pretty cool. So anyways, I like hanging with him. So, any, so I was sharing this testimony, I was sharing this testimony, and, and this guy walks up to me in the line afterwards, I was praying for people, and he walks up to me, he goes, he goes, man, I wish I had the gift of evangelism like you. 
And the only thing that I said, which probably shouldn't have said quite the same way. I mean, I wouldn't say it now, but I just, once in a while, you, you don't have, you only have a few seconds and you make mistakes, okay? I said, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I just shared the gospel with somebody because they needed to hear about Jesus. That's what I said, and he walked away, and I never saw him again, so I hope he's okay. But the point was, is that that's what we do. We've got a way of getting out of things instead of getting into stuff. Life in the kingdom is about getting into the life in the spirit, not getting out of it. If you have anything in you that's trying to get out of stuff, just stop doing that. You don't have to make excuses for anything. I'm not saying that you're going to be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, but what I am telling you is that all of us should be available for what God wants to do, not what our personality likes or what I like. Do you think Moses wanted to go to Pharaoh and say, hey, give me all of your slave labor? Oh, yeah, we're going to go worship God in the wilderness. I think he was freaked out. I think God calls us to do stuff, gives us the means by which we can do it, and he just wants us to say yes. And those that are willing to say yes are used by the Lord. You can look at people, and they look crazy, and their life's in shambles, and you go, God, why would you use them? And I think the Lord would say to you and me, because they said yes. And so we qualify everybody. We go, well, there's no way God's using that person. They're just too goofy, and that's not of God, and that's not of the spirit. Yeah, there's a lot of goofy, and there's a lot of weird stuff in some people. But God's using some folks because they say yes when everybody else doesn't say anything at all. It's the truth. Me and my wife were at a conference, and there was this guy, and he was just wild and crazy. And I don't, you know, I'm, I'm a charismatic, but I don't know about all that. You know? But I got a higher tolerance than most folks, so I'm good, right? I'm good. I got a lot of good friends that are, you know, they're wacky. And, um, but I just, for, so for me, I just want to see people discipled and the gospel go out, okay? So if you want to flip and twitch, and you do your thing, okay? But for me, if it doesn't equal change lives and transformation, I don't know how far I want to step into that arena personally, okay? I'm not building upper rooms. I'm building the kingdom. All right. So I don't know if you followed me on that one or not. But the, uh, we just praise God for the edit button. I'm just speaking my heart here. I know, I know I'm stepping out. But you came to my class. <laughs> and some of you didn't know. Like, I thought Pastor Chris was going to teach tonight. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. But we went to this conference, and this guy was super wild, you know. And I won't name his name, but some of you would know who he is. And, and I was like, just like, this guy is nuts. This guy is like crazy. And he is and he fell, and he had a great fall, and all kinds of stuff happened to him, you know. And, and, and there are a lot of people that were like, see, I told you the guy was crazy. It doesn't mean he wasn't a Christian. It means he had some problems in the inside that he wasn't dealing with. It doesn't mean all of his ministry was maybe terrible. I don't know that. God knows that stuff. But I remember just talking to the Lord one day about that kind of stuff and that guy. And I remember this is what the Lord said to me. He goes, Ben, I use him because he said yes. He said Yes. You know, that yes, that word right there, that word, yes, is what's holding a few of us back in this room right now. That one word is holding some of us back right now. And we will find every reason to get out of our yes. We'll blame the preacher and we'll blame the book and we'll blame the this and we'll blame our last church. and we'll blame. Whatever. But God isn't looking for our excuses. He's looking for our yes. And then when we say yes, he'll give us everything that we need to get whatever job done that he puts on our plate. But you got to give him your yes. I got to give him my yes. My yes looks a little different than your yes, but it means the same thing to God. Gifts are imparted. Gifts are imparted. So listen, 
to recap, gifts are sovereignly given by God. Gifts are situationally given for those situations that are in front of us. And gifts are imparted. First Timothy 4.13, Paul talking to Timothy. He says, until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching, and do not neglect or avoid or cast off the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic prophetic utterance with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, which are basically just the elders. In other words, the elders laid hands on you, and the Holy Spirit honored that, and he touched you, and he filled you with a spiritual gift that you didn't have until that moment happened. Now, I'm not one that believes in cheap impartation. I don't just want to have an impartation line and think everybody's always going to get everything that we do. I don't know that that's necessarily always something that happens. But I definitely believe in the laying on of hands, and I definitely believe in impartation, and I do see the transfer of the Spirit's work from one person to another in Scripture, and I have definitely seen it in my life. I have had moments where I've not only had people lay hands on me, but I have laid hands on people, and they did not prophesy, and all of a sudden, they started prophesying like they were a prophet. Now, that will come and go because you have to steward the manifold graces of God. And nobody walking around is a dispenser for the gifts of the Spirit. People try to make formulas out of that, and it leaves a lot of people disillusioned. And I'm not the spokesperson for either way. I'm just simply saying God does impart spiritual gifts through the laying on of hands. And I want to make one comment, and I'm going to sidestep that comment a little bit. You're going to see it happen, so I'm already telling you up front. I'm going to say it. I'm going to drop it. I'm going to drop the mic, and then I'm going to move on with my, my, my talk, okay? Because I, I don't know how it's going to settle. I don't even know if I fully understand. It's like a half-cooked steak. I understand? <laughs> needs to go back on the grill a little bit, probably. But I'm going to say it anyways. So, <laughs> I think that the impartation of the gifts of the Spirit come through the laying on of the hands of the elders or people that are carrying something more when you're in a discipleship relationship than just when you're at some charismatic meeting. If you follow scripture and the laying on of hands, what you find is not just this free-for-all. You find discipleship relationships where Paul is walking with Timothy, and then they lay their hands on him, and bam, he gets it. But what I think we've done is we've turned substantive things into very cheap things. That's what we've done. We've turned things that have substance and meaning and context and relationship and cost, gosh, can we talk about cost for a second? I mean, they're all given by grace, but there's a cost because you're in a relationship where you're advancing the kingdom for the purposes of the king. And when you're in that relationship and that leader or that person or that brother or that sister lays hands on you, you receive something that you probably won't receive if you just go to the, be the better charismatic meeting. Now, I believe in the hunger for the things of God, but I think sometimes people have misunderstanding about the transfer of the anointing of God's spirit and how gifts are transferred in an impartable way. I think there's a misunderstanding on that because I see a lot of people go from place to place, from meeting to meeting, from thing to thing, and they're not manifesting Christ more in their life as a result of that. And they're whipped up into this thing, and they believe that it's happening. They believe that it's happening, but they're avoiding the words of Jesus that said, go and make disciples. 
They've never become one, and so they're not making any. And so we go from place to place and meeting to meeting trying to get something that we're never going to get until we're discipled and we're making disciples. It's not going to happen. And I realized that. It, it, the truth be told, one of the reasons why I stopped doing personal conferences for a season of time was because I was tired of people just coming to receive something one night and thinking it was a one and done and they were going to walk away and everything was going to be awesome. That isn't the way that it works. Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey what I have commanded you and lo, I am with you until the end of the age. And I tell people, if you want to experience God, make disciples. That's where the power of the Spirit is. That's where the flow of God really is. It's in kingdom relationships that transfer one to another. It's the thing we talk about. It's the fathers and the mothers and the sons and the daughters. And we look for the attractive stuff, the lights, the camera, and the action, and we want something. And it just reduces it down to something that's cheap, and it doesn't work. And let's be honest about that. I'm as, I'm as Pentecostal as you can get. I am. And I don't mean that in a weird way, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I love the Baptists, and I love the Methodists, and I love everybody that loves Jesus. But I believe in the power of God. I was forged in it. That's how I came to Christ, supernaturally, delivered from demonic bondage, drug addiction, sexual addiction. I was delivered, and I was, I was given gifts that I never understood, and it was even rejected for, and I was in the church. Some people, some people don't understand that, but there are people who have things, they just want to learn, and they're not doing it right, and they're not received well. Well, that was me. And I went through the church, and I can remember lots of experiences that I had that got me to where I am today. And I can just tell you that I've watched over time, I've watched this, the, the charismatic stream, and, I, and I'm a part of it, so I'm speaking. But I've watched the charismatic stream just kind of the train go off the tracks. So people are, I want to experience God. Listen to me. I want to experience God. And I want people to encounter the living God. But I want to tell you that if you just go from place to place and you never get embedded into a community where people know you and you're known and you're giving and you're receiving, you're just not going to transform into the person that you're called to be. It's just not going to happen. And that's why church wounds are so important to deal with is because we end up leaving one church and we get wounded and then a lot of folks just stop going to church. And they lose faith in a system or they lose faith in people altogether. And then it's like life is over. You can put a bookmark in the story of their development. And they stop right there. And I'm telling you, it's, it's part of it. It's our mindset. And so I'm speaking as a charismatic. And I don't know where you are. And I respect where you are. I mean, I, I, I do. I, I'm not strong-arming anybody to be me. But I'm just telling you, I, I, I think that as much as I am somebody speaking within a movement, I think things need to change. I think we say things we don't really have in substance, and so it becomes attractive and becomes cute, and we say this stuff. We talk about kingdom, and we talk about, you know, uh, community and family and mothers and fathers, all this stuff. And I'll bet you, I will bet you, most people don't even know the name of the Baptist pastor down the street. That's not kingdom. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going. But it's not okay with me anymore. 
It's not okay with me anymore. I'm not looking, in this relationship with Jesus and with his people, I'm not looking for a fling. I'm looking for a marriage. I'm not looking for Jesus to visit me. I'm looking for him to stay with me. I press in for the presence of the Lord. I understand fasting and prayer. I'm all about it. But listen very carefully that it's not, that's what happens even in classes. People will come to my first class and it's a restaurant, you know. I'm not really sure what I think. Just commit. We, we, we lack commitment. You, me, and everybody else. We lack it, you know. And the question that I like to ask people is, how are you being discipled? I don't care if you're 70. It doesn't matter. Wherever we're at, there's a process God has us in, in growing up into Christ. And we need to engage whatever that is for us. It may not be IDS, but it could be whatever it is. But are we engaging it? Because we're going to see Christ manifest more and more there. I want the power of God. I want it to flow like rivers of living water. I want to encounter him. I'm not putting one thing down to exalt another. I'm just saying there's a balance in between it all. It's why people write books like Strange Fires. Because there needs to be some level of correction. I don't agree with that guy. I think he's as jaded as the people he's talking about. But I think it's important that we realize if we can't correct ourselves, then we're probably going to have some misunderstandings of scripture and that's not acceptable to any of us. Scripture is scripture. Whether I exist or not, the book is the book. I mean, whether I like it, believe it, read it or not, it still exists without me. So I have to yield to this just like the rest of us. And I don't know how I got on to all of that from gifts are imparted, but I did. <laughs> I did, you know. It just happened. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.6, he said, for this reason, I remind you. How do we know he reminded him? Because we just read it in 1 Timothy. <laughs> I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This is a father to a son. It's a father to a son. Gifts are pursued. Now here's another thing. Listen to, listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians. It's almost contradictory. It's, it's just amazing. Don't you love that? It's almost contradictory. 1 Corinthians 12.30 says, all do not have gifts of healing, do they? It's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no. All do not speak with tongues, do they? No. All do not interpret, do they? No. But earnestly desire the greater gifts. Did Paul just give me an invitation to go after something that I may not possess right now? I've had people quote these scriptures to me. All don't have the gifts of healing. See, we don't have those gifts. But he just gave you an invitation to have more. And this is what I'm saying, we're, we're, we're trying to get out of things instead of get into them. I'm looking for verses that are giving me an invitation and I've found them. He says it again in 1 Corinthians 14, after he talks about love. Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you might prophesy. Man, he's telling us to go after spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire them, but he's telling the Corinthians, don't desire them to look or feel spiritual. They need to be done in a loving manner. And I actually believe spiritual gifts, rightly appropriated, are empowered love. That's what I believe spiritual gifts are in their proper context. They're empowered love because they come from God. All good gifts come down from the Father, the Father above. He gives good gifts. We're the ones that distort the gift. We're the ones that mishandle the gift. But Paul doesn't tell them to stop using the gifts. He tells them to pursue the greater gifts, but to do it in the context of love. So don't stop pursuing the gifts. Do it. Just as you're doing that, ask God to fill you with his love. Is that, all right, we're with, you're with me on that. All right, I'm, I'm going to close here. But I want to give you some myths about the gifts. 
Sounds like a television show. Number one, are you ready for this? The myths about the gifts. And they're not on your notes because if you don't want to write them down, you don't have to, but you can. Number one, only spiritual leaders have spiritual gifts. False. That's a myth. But there are a lot of people, if they don't believe it, they live like it, don't they? Let's be honest. If we don't believe it, we live like it. Well, the pastor will do that. I was at a church one time, and the pastor said, hey, why don't you invite people to church and let me take a crack at them? And the first thing in my mind, I thought, no way, buddy. It's not your responsibility to lead the people that I know to Christ. It is mine. It is my responsibility to steward the influence that I have with the gifts that I have and to share the gospel with the people that are in my world. He said, let me take a crack at them. No. I'm going to take a crack at them. And if after doing so, all I got left is standing, I will take them here and you can crack at them, okay? (laughs) But that's not my first plan of attack. But that's what happens. That's what happens is that we let the spiritual guys do it or the spiritual gals do it because they're so much better at it. No, they're not. The anointing of the Spirit of God rests on you to do what he's called you to do. And until we get that mindset, we won't see it happen. It's, a, it's what we believe that matters. That's what's at stake tonight. You realize that. It's what we believe that matters. That's what's at stake. What do we believe? Of course, we all say we believe Scripture, but do we? Only spiritual leaders have spiritual gifts. Number two, everyone has all of the gifts. I already told you that's, that, that's kind of a misnomer. Obviously, not everybody's the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor. I mean, it, it's obviously no. You know, the last guy I think I heard speak like that was Jim Jones. And if you know that story, <laughs> my parents told me all about it. All right, anyways, number three. Miraculous gifts were only given to authenticate the apostles. You'll hear that in some churches. It's absolutely false. Because it, uh, what, you'll, what you'll read about in Mark chapter 16 and other passages is signs, wonders, and miracles. And even in Hebrews chapter 2, which I was going to bring that up, but I don't have time. But in, even in Hebrews chapter 2, when they went about preaching the gospel, he would confirm the message with signs, wonders, and miracles. And according to Hebrews chapter 2, with gifts of the Holy Spirit. The message not just authenticate the apostles. The apostles were sent ones carrying a message. So they were effective to the degree that they were carriers, faithful carriers of the message that they were given. Follow me on that. It's very important to understand that. So no, that is not true, but some people propagate that as truth. Miraculous gifts were only given to authenticate the apostles. If that were true, then the miraculous gifts would not continue after they ministered, and the miraculous gifts did. You can not only read about it in the Bible, but you can read about it in church history. And the only reason we don't know that is because we don't know as much church history. But all throughout church history, miracles, signs, wonders, and gifts of the Holy Spirit are all throughout. They're just buried in those books that we all don't want to (laughs) read. But it's all there. It's all there. There's just a little bit of research that I started touching in church history. First, second, third century was incredible. I'm talking like incredible. Like even St. Augustine, the way he came to the Lord was through a prophetic word. You realize that. I talk about it just a little bit in my book, Hearing God. But it's amazing. Augustine, who probably is known for kind of helping to craft a lot of the theology that spills over into today... He's, he's not known for miracles, signs, wonders, and spiritual gifts, but he came to the Lord because he had a prophetic word given to him. 
And it was part of how he came to know Jesus. It's an amazing story when you read it, but you won't hear it because the reformers bury it. We want to bury any signs, wonders, and miracles. We don't want people knowing about that stuff after the apostles. We don't want to talk about it. But it's all there. It just depends on what book you read and who you're listening to. Okay, very important. It's wrong to seek spiritual gifts. No, I would say it's wrong to seek spiritual gifts for the wrong reasons. People say, we seek the giver and not the gift. Well, Paul said, pursue spiritual gifts. So when people say, seek the giver and not the gift, it's like, well, obviously, in relationship, we pursue Jesus, of course. But it's, what, what you do when you say that is you make it an either-or. Okay, we've got to be careful with soundbite theology. It's what I call it. When we say these comments and we don't realize how powerfully effective they can be against us, they can be counterproductive in our life, we say seek the giver and not the gifts. And what we've done is we've disempowered a pursuit of spiritual gifts that is actually given to us by Paul. It's given to us in Scripture. We've disempowered a pursuit that we need to have. We don't seek the giver uh, uh, and we don't seek the, the giver and not the gift. We seek the giver and the gift. But we understand them appropriately. Of course, in relationship, I seek Jesus. But Jesus gives us gifts so that we can minister to people. And one of the ways we glorify him is to minister in our gifts. So we don't want to put that, we don't want to put that down. And I hate it when people fight over theology because who cares about your theology? Is your fruit there? I mean, let's talk about fruit for a second, Okay. I mean, we need to be better fruit inspectors than we are criticizers. I mean, theology is very important. It's very important. But the point of our theology is to get to the fruit. And if you don't have the fruit, nobody cares about your criticism. It doesn't even matter. You don't have anything in your life to show for it. And fruit inspectors know that. It's wrong to seek spiritual gifts. No, that's wrong. Spiritual gifts aren't necessary now that we have the Bible. That's crazy. That's crazy. Listen. That is crazy. And I'm not joking. That is absolutely nuts. And I've held dying children in my arms before. I have. I don't know if you have, and I don't know if people that talk like that have, but I have. And the Bible didn't change the fact that there are needs in this world and that God is still ministering by power. That has not changed that. It has given us instruction. It's given us understanding. It's shown us the plan of salvation. But it didn't change the reality of the world of hopelessness that we're living in. And so when you hold a dying baby, you don't just read scriptures over the child. You pray for healing in Jesus' name. I know what it's like to walk the halls of children's hospital praying for dying children. And I suggest that people who have theology that's otherwise should try it. But they probably won't because you already don't believe in something like that, which causes you to not do those things or put yourself into places that you might feel vulnerable. You might feel like you don't have enough. Guess what? When you don't have enough, there's somebody that does. That's the whole point. I'm getting excited. <laughs> that stuff stirs me up. I hate it when people talk like that. Not just because of the theology. I could get over that. It's just like, have you, have you seriously, have you ever been to a hospice care facility? I mean, have you ever talked to somebody that was like just purposeless and needed to hear from God? Do you put yourself into these situations? Should you start? 
Because when you do, you all of a sudden come into a place of needing more than you have. And it's at that point that you've got to draw from the Holy Spirit. So when I tell you these are needs, man, I'm serious. Those who have, I mean, we need the Bible, but the Bible has a different purpose. The Bible actually gives us a green light for the things I'm talking about. Figure that one out. Those who have more dynamic or supernatural gifts are more spiritual than others. Those who have more dynamic or supernatural gifts are more spiritual than others. Every gift has equal value. The question is, are we going to faithfully steward what God has given us? When we get to heaven, God is not going to say, well done, good and faithful, miraculous, gifted person. You have a special place in heaven. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. The idea is that you took what I gave you and you did something with it. That's what Jesus is going to respond to. Not how dynamic we were, not how many people knew our name, not whether or not we stood on platforms. It's did we use what he gave us? And so we have this tendency to think more of people who have these dynamic gifts. I just don't. I know some people that are in higher places, and I'm not impressed. And I don't mean to say I'm taking them down. I'm just saying I'm not impressed. I honor the anointing of the Spirit on their life. I love the gifts of God. But we're all people. I don't believe that there are extraordinary people. I believe that there are people who believe the words of an extraordinary God. That's what I believe. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Spiritual gifts operate in everyone at the same level, intensity, and accuracy. Not true. I've had people say to me, if you really have the gift of healing, then why don't you go to the hospitals and empty it out? I'm like, well, I never said I had the gift of healing to you, but I'll do what the Lord wants me to do. And there are plenty of people that are doing that all over the world. But we've just, again, that's sort of an anti-statement. We're, again, trying to find a way out of things. Well, if Benny Hinn had the gift of healing, why doesn't he go to the hospitals and stop doing his big old crusades? Maybe God doesn't want him to. I don't know him personally. (laughs) I've never talked to him, so I won't speak for him. But this this is the word of a critic, all right? This is the word of a critic. I'm not responsible for what he has. I'm responsible for what I have, and I'm responsible with what God tells me to do with it. Maybe, maybe, if we're just going to be fair to people like that, maybe God hasn't told him to do that. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, can we be gracious to one another? I mean, if, again, if, 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 if all of our fruit is in front of Jesus, and we're not looking at your fruit, and I'm not looking at your fruit, I'm just looking at my fruit, and I've got nothing to say to anybody else, to Benny Hinn or whoever else, I just got something to say for my fruit. If it's all in front of Jesus, and we stop talking and looking at other people, maybe the way that we talk would change. Maybe it would change. And maybe all that we're going to really remember is what Jesus told us to do with what we had. And maybe he didn't tell us to go to the hospital with our gift. Maybe he did. Maybe, maybe he didn't. Maybe he told us to go to the streets. Maybe he told us to go to the prisons. Maybe he didn't. But we're not responsible for what somebody else is walking out. And we've just got to knock it off. Can I tell you that tonight? Just knock it off. Are you a skeptic? You could be free. You know why? Because I was one. And look at me. (laughs) That's great. 
I'm not kidding. I, I, I've been critical. I have lived on Critical Avenue for the majority of my life. And I'm telling you, deliverance is better. I'm not validating everybody else, but I stopped looking at them. Because more, it's more important that I'm looking at the fruit on my life. Are you, you hearing what I'm saying tonight? I'm telling you, people are consumed with being a watchdog of what other people are doing. Just stop. Stop. You don't have to. God hasn't commissioned you to do that. And if you have influence where you need to say something, well, then step up. But if you don't, just stop and look at your own fruit. It will help your life. Trust me. It will turn your frown into a smile. It's freedom. Listen, I, when I became a parent, it was the very, very apparent when I became a parent that I needed deliverance from being critical. And if you're not yet having children, if you don't have children right now, and you're going to have children, and you have an issue of being critical, I would encourage you strongly to get delivered. Come to Jesus and submit to him. Because that will transfer to them, and that's going to be your fruit. All right, so that's not what I wanted to say, but I did. Uh, Drew, would you come? Guys, what I want to do tonight, and I'm going to close, and I will get you out of here on time. I try to be faithful with the 845. It's no longer 9, it's 845, okay? So you're going to get, going to get you out a little bit more on time. And you're welcome, in just a few moments, you're welcome to linger and talk, and, and that's w one of the things we want to do. Say hi. Give a holy high five. Not a holy kiss. I'm not sure if we do that anymore, but a holy high five to somebody in the room and have a good time, and I'd love to talk to you or just talk to anybody here. Seriously, uh, we want to build community. It's hard to build community. It just takes time. But here's, here's what I wanted to leave you with tonight. I talked to you about the purpose of spiritual gifts. I think I drilled on it harder than I needed to, but I wanted to leave you with this. I was reading the book of Acts, and I was praying last night, and I was asking the Lord how I should close our meeting tonight, and I felt like the Lord shared with me, not a personal impartation, not a me laying hands on anybody, but us just putting our hands out before the Lord and asking for an impartation of the Holy Spirit in our life, as Johann was sharing, to be freshly baptized with the Holy Spirit, that God would baptize us with a need that we would, listen, that you and I would feel the need for his gifts, for his power, for his character to flow through our life. And if you're numb tonight, here's what I'm, here's what I'm saying. We need to ask the Lord to take that numbness away from us and that he would replace it with that sensitivity to the spirit of God, that sensitivity to the people around us which makes spiritual gifts all the more important when you start to see the needs. I was reading the book of Acts and I just came after verse after verse. I think I hit five verses in four chapters where this is what it said, that they were speaking in tongues and they were prophesying and they were praying and healing was manifested. And it said the people that were looking at them were amazed. They were astonished. And here's the question that I have for you tonight. It's the question that I have for me. Is the world around me astonished by the life that I live? If they're not, there is an absolute need for you and I to stand before the, the Lord in his presence tonight and cry out for what we yet, we yet do not have or even for more right now. I'm not going to settle and I'm not going to let you settle if you come to this place. I will not let you settle. 
and where you're numb, I'm going to step on that numb toe and I want to bring it back to life because there is more for us to go after. Verse after verse after verse, the world was astonished by the people of God. That's what I want.